0: Thought it wasn't a big deal, but this time it's for real. Guess that I should call my mom. It's all over the news. Time to buy out the booze. It's too late for protocol. Now, I'll never go to Paris, but at least I'm skipping marriage because I'm way too scared to settle down.
1: You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on this episode of the podcast, I speak to singer-songwriter out of LA, Deza. Deza is a fantastic up-and-coming artist who perfectly encapsulates the theme of this volume, Volume 5, Who Runs the World. We're taking a look at badass women in music. We're juxtaposing or comparing, if you will, the careers of Grammy-nominated artists who have laid the foundation and -and up-and-coming artists who are forging their own paths while also appreciating the groundwork laid by these more seasoned veterans. So Deza has a really unique and interesting story and outlook on the craft of songwriting and music in general. So I think Desa makes a perfect opening episode on this volume that you're really gonna appreciate and I know you're gonna get a lot out of it. So stick around. My conversation with Desa is right up after this.
0: Even though I didn't make the twenty seven, club I kept on vibing till the ending. And you'll know when we both get up to heaven. Hell yeah. Glad that we both got to share the ending. Turn the clock as it ticks down, going from 10 to the 1 now. It kind of feels like it's New Year's. Why does it feel like it's New Year's? And at the end, when it runs out, kiss me as soon as the light's down. As we ascended the clouds, wow, countdowns, countdowns. And if we only
1: You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here with the supremely talented Deza. Deza, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing so good. Good. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of
1: course. I am really excited for this volume as we were talking a little bit before we got started. So this volume has got badass women who rule the world and we've got two women that are gonna conquer the world and then two women that have been conquering the world. And so it's an interesting kind of bookend of the volume to look from one perspective all the way through a career and chart it. But I wanna get started some philosophical questions and really oh. ask you what does music mean to you
0: oh,
2: just hitting them with the dingers right, right. after that honestly like it, it's so crazy because when you do a job like this it really is both your lifelong love and your career and so it encompasses so much more than people think and that's like such a cliche answer if you like so he's like it's just
0: my life
2: but like <laughs> truly it really is like it's all I do I, I literally I, I had a dream last night that I was trying to finish a song and it's a reoccurring dream that I get where it's just like so. it's almost like a nightmare because I, I can't actually finish it when I am in the dream but it's just it's really all I'm thinking about all the time like I need to get a hobby it's bad <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I absolutely love that because there's this innate ability with music for it to as you said permeate your dreams mm-hmm. and your thoughts and your state of being and it yeah. is it is a tool and a device that we engage with and we interact with and we have fun with it and it, we mm-hmm. get emotional with it. It picks us up. It lets us down. It helps us process yeah. grief and trauma, but also like party in the club at you know midnight. So, I mean, it's got yeah. all this variety and ability. And I think that when you have the ability to write the song such as you've been so good at you can mm-hmm. see the 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 full life of the music and it's you're, yeah, you you wow. you know maybe you have a thought and you put it down on paper and you've got the melody and you've got the beat and now you're starting to piece it together and you're not really sure what it's going to look like and then you kind of step mm-hmm. back and you're like oh my god I think I think we're there I think we're yeah. close and then now all of a sudden it's a living breathing thing out in the world that is means so much to so many people and in so many different ways.
2: Yeah, wow, I just got chills. That was incredible. <laughs> like it truly is is that and everything more. I mean, the ability for it to do so many different things, I, it's just been crazy.
1: It's interesting to me. There's been s- several different folks that I've spoken to throughout the course of the show who have given their stories of what different songs meant to them when they were writing and how they've heard stories from people and how it's meant different things to them. Uh, I think one of the, the, Perfect examples I can think of is when I was talking to John Oates. He talked about putting together, um, you know, something as silly as like the the title track on Voices, and people think it's just a doo wop mm-hmm. song. And he talked about he wrote it basing off of an idea of a serial killer who can get and get and get a song out of his head, and and that was that was the the melody that was <laughs> in his head. And I was like, whoa, yeah. that's insane. He was like, yeah, but you know, also you know, the kiss on your list means it's one of the greatest things of the life of my life, but it's not the greatest thing, and, and going on and on, mm. but. But there's been other stories where folks have talked about writing the song when, or a record, speaking with Davey Basinger of Bleach most recently, he talked about writing the record again for the first time um, in a, uh, no, I apologize. Uh, uh, Owen Thomas uh, from the Elms talked about writing his Mm -hmm. self record after the Elms broke up and how he was going through a very dark period of time in his life breaking up and yeah. and really the record was not for anyone else but it was his his expression of what he needed to get out and he said I needed to kind of exercise those demons put it out now it's yeah. out in the world and I can have closure and then having people come up and say you know I was going through a similar difficult time in my life and it allowed mm-hmm. me the it afforded me the space and the ability to grieve that I hadn't given yes. myself permission to do and yeah. I think that's what's so powerful and you you think about I'm thinking about specifically like your song, um, into the world, uh, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. the name of that correctly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and how it's so fun and so cute when you're like first listening to it. And then it's got this like, um, melancholy aspect and it's like, this is yeah, super fun. And sure. also we might really die in like five <laughs> seconds. So we don't
2: yeah, know. it was that, that's a perfect example just because it's like when things can take on so many different layers to, to different people, I think, um, that song, especially, was so funny because we were so sad. We were so sad because <laughs> yeah. we wrote that the day, like probably March fifteenth or something, like after quarantine had really hit everybody, yeah. like globally. And we were just we we walked to the store because we didn't take the transit. Um, we were in Norway at the time, and so we walked to the store. And we walked in, and there's hand sanitizer, and just and we we got a cake, and we were like this is our end of the world cake like Mm. it it was so out of body and then like we were like okay we were all crying (laughs) we were like we have to write something that's not terrible so it's so it's so funny that you mentioned that because it really does play into the idea of like songs can can be so many different things during the process right like they start out as one thing and then they become something else for so many other people it's just it's very meta and i love it very much yes
1: (laughs) It's so incredible. And I, I remember I was speaking with someone else and, and, and talking to them about what music meant to me and, and a specific song. And there was, there was a song I was listening to once that, uh, by the great Jamie Harris, Creatures. And, I, and she talks about this like otherworldly experience and at night things change. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh my God, I went through this like you know deep play dark places certain period of time and it helped me and I feel like it really spoke to like the changing of seasons in my life and then I was like I wonder what that song means and asking her and she's like oh it's just about like some dude that I met whose attitude changed at night and then I realized I didn't want to date him but I love your story and I want to adopt that as the story of the song no
0: but so yes, funny.
2: exactly. It's so powerful. <laughs> so powerful.
1: And and I it's absolutely <laughs> love that. It's just uh, we could go on and on and on about that for days. But another question I want to hit you up with before we get into your early life and we wind the clock back is what are some of the the states of mind that you enter into when you're approaching a new song? I know it it must come to you uh, in various forms and in different ways. But I'm curious, is yeah. there, how do you prep your, here's, here's the right way. How do you prep mm. your mind and spirit to accept what's going to be coming your way?
2: Yeah. Wow. That's such a great question. Um, I feel like a lot of times it's a constant state of readiness. Mm. Like you kind of, I've kind of trained myself, I would say over the years to, to be ready for, for that to come and, and to be more aware of when I'm Feeling something, particularly when it comes to like when I'm writing things for my own project, and it's not for a session. It's like I'm just in my living room and I'm like, ooh, I f- I feel this. <laughs> let me go, let me go sit at the keys and like see if I can figure out and like detangle it. A lot of times it feels like you're like trying to knit yeah. through something and you know get the knots out until it feels complete and yeah. like something tangible. So a lot of times when it's just for myself it's um it's being able to just listen for that kind of weird feeling that i get (laughs) that sounds so meta but like at the same time it really is what happens um and then then i think before going into a session a lot of times uh, like it, it really there's a mental preparation of just like opening yourself up to the muse and like to spirituality and like the divine creator like for me a lot of times it includes prayer before i go into a session and like in a weird way, just allowing yourself to be attentive to what's happening around you kind of a thing. So that's all very, you know, nice. I, sometimes, sometimes yeah. there's nothing. Sometimes you're like, I'm going to eat this Twix bar and hope it gives me a sugar rush. And I write something. <laughs> right. right. Um, so, you know, it varies.
1: Right. You know, I heard a great quote from someone, um, and I, I, forget who it was, but I will, I will claim that I will not claim that it's me. Um, but they <laughs> talked about, someone said, how do you, how does one get a lucky break? Or how does, how does one get a good mm-hmm. opportunity? And she replied to the question by saying, we get good luck every single day. The trick is some people know to look for it and to... Mm. maximize the luck into an opportunity and other times it just happens and it passes you by she said you get lucky when you get a green light you get lucky when you make it somewhere on time you get lucky when you find a Twix bar and not an empty wrapper I mean like those are all like little things but they add up into you're improving your mood or you're like now I'm going to use this extra time to do something else I mean she said the way that she got to the top of the company she was working at is by recognizing the micro moments
2: Mm, where she had positivity
1: and flipping that into a macro movement.
2: Totally. That's huge. Absolutely. yeah. And it's a part of being a creator. I'm sure many many people can probably relate to that. It's hard, but it's definitely the biggest part of it, I think.
1: Definitely. Well, let's wind the clock back a little bit to some of your early days so you are are you from texas am i remembering that correctly yes okay. you are
2: i i call myself from texas i grew up in georgia and okay. then about you know 11 years old moved out to texas and um was there for the rest of my okay teenage years that's close so. enough <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we'll you know,
1: yeah. <laughs> Once Texan, always a Texan. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So let's talk about some of those early days. Was your family and home life a very musical-filled one? Were you the only person who was really singing and being drawn to music? What did those early formative years look like for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was super lucky to grow up in a really musical family. Um, my parents both sing. They met in a jazz ensemble, which is just the cutest freaking thing I've <laughs> yeah. ever heard. Um, And so, yeah, so my parents grew up singing um, and then brought my sister and I into it. And we would do quartet stuff as a family, which is also pretty precious (laughs) that I get to say that out loud. Um, And so, yeah, I just was really lucky to grow up in that kind of environment where it was always encouraged and understood. I feel feel very, very lucky. I I know a lot of people in the creative industries whose parents don't understand this compulsion almost. And my parents have just been the most supportive like the kindest angels I could ever ask for because they get it they get the music right desire yeah so yeah was really lucky for that
1: were you writing were you experimenting with writing songs from a pretty early age what did that look like for you journaling writing it down yeah. it-
2: was always a big journaler mm-hmm. I had I started keeping journals when I was in kindergarten I found a little diary on the back of a like plane seat like tucked in the little thing and I took it out and I was like (laughs) oh my god I love that yeah it was crazy and it's so that just kind of sparked my love for journaling and then what's funny is it kind of evolved into this thing where I would I had a little book where I would write the titles of songs that I thought like I would write what I thought of but just titles I never wrote the actual song I was always very (laughs) concept-based which is so funny to think about because I still am to this day but So I started doing that and then I remember there being a point where I realized what song form was. I was probably nine Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, this part is the same as this part and this is a chorus and this happens twice and like, so when those wheels started to turn for me and I started to click pieces together, that was when I started really like getting into full form songwriting. Um, Then wrote my first full song when I was nine and then really just kind of took off from there, just kept doing it and... um, didn't really good get very good at writing it like a full length song that was structured till I was like fourteen, mm. um, but yeah, i been been a writer for a long time. So
1: was it something where so obvious? So talking about writing the songs and getting it fully fleshed out at fourteen, the structure of it. Um, mm. What did that look? Was it was it important to you to also? I feel like this is an obvious question to. Perform the songs that you wrote or was it more important to Mm. write it down, put it out in the world and it's there and then someone else can kind of take it and interpret it a different way?
2: Yeah, well that's such a, like it's an interesting point because the first song I wrote when I was nine, I never, never performed it anywhere. I had written it when my great grandma passed away and that was just, on it was just on paper and it was just yeah. for that. But then when when I wrote that song and I was fourteen, my best friend had just like gotten a new group of best friends and I was like super mad about it. Sure of course. Of <laughs> so course I, I was experiencing like true grief and heartbreak for the right. first time in a really real way. Yeah. And so I when I did that one, I made a little video for it, did the whole YouTube thing. So so at that point when it became my story. It's it's interesting now that you 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 ask it like that because I do see a correlation of like oh wow when that story was mine I needed to tell it and perform it yeah. myself which is huge wow yeah. mm, that's so cool <laughs> I
1: love I love that because I think I think that's the interesting uh, aspect of the singer songwriter uh, mm-hmm. is because there are there are a lot of folks who will. Write songs in with in collaboration or in conjunction with others, or for yeah. someone else's project to help them out, and it's great. And they and you know there's a sense of pride and accomplishment in helping someone tell their story. But then there's something deeply personal about no, I need to perform this yeah. song because it's my story, it's my grief, it's my celebration, etc. Sure. And I think, I think in a lot of ways that is what's so crucial about music. I I was reading this article not too long ago about how there is, it it was, it was specifically referencing the, the current surge in singer songwriters in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And it was referencing Nashville and a couple of other, and LA and a couple of other places. And it said, you know, for the longest time, music has felt very repetitive. And it's because it pointed out from a major label perspective, there was a handful of producers that were producing the music or producing the songs. And so while good, they can start to sound repetitive when it's the same handful of people Mm -hmm. doing all of the hits. And so it was talking about the the surge in singer-songwriters as a, uh, it was likening it to the Bob Dylan era of Mm -hmm. singer-songwriters, really a breath of fresh air into the music landscape because people are coming with their own stories to tell. And that's going to lead a creative renaissance in that way. And so I Mm -hmm. find it so interesting when you're talking about this. You had something to say. I didn't mean to cut you off there.
2: No, no, no. I was just saying that's such a, that's such a cool thing to call it a creative renaissance. I think that's, that gives me hope. I love love that.
1: And I think that there is, because there's so many, there's so many stories to tell. And I feel that one of the hallmarks of a great song and a great artist is when you have something to, to say something Mm -hmm. to say on the current, maybe world landscape, something to say about your own life, something to say about an group of friends, not including you. I mean, everything mm-hmm. in between and, and that's where it can feel, that's where it become art. That's where art becomes relatable is when yeah. it's coming from a personal place, you know?
2: Yeah. And that's such an interesting like thing to learn as a songwriter. I think that you don't, you don't figure out if you're trying to pander to uh, the charts, I would say, like yeah. the, the amount that people just want to hear a story, that they can then, like, I see it very visually in my head. Like, people take that, and then they just put their story right on top of it, and it fits, man. Yes. I mean, even if the words are a little bit off, or, like, you know, maybe that that's maybe that street isn't exactly what the street was. I mean, Cornelia Street by Taylor Swift, for right, example. Right. I don't know where that is, but it doesn't matter. I feel <laughs> right. that, you know what I mean? So it's, like, the, the importance of genuine storytelling is so critical, and I just love, I love it it's
1: absolutely great well you're listening to After the Encore I'm your host Joe Shaw and we'll be right back after this
0: there's magic in your life I'd be anyone just to have your love I want you so bad This magic
1: Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Deza. It is not the end of the world. It is just the next part of the podcast. We don't have to pout. It's all good. <laughs> I'll put my palms away. All right. I always have to get in oh, a couple of- Oh, that was of, so good. I always have to that get in a so few good. puns.
2: <laughs> I'm so impressed. I, I was like, I thought I was just going to stop after one, and then it kept going. It was so good. <laughs> 10 out of 10.
1: Rule of three. You know, if we do more, then it's, it's, oh, yeah. it loses it, right? <laughs> But anyways, so I'm. I'm now that we've kind of gone through some of the early life, and we've talked about the real philosophy of songwriting. I'd love yeah. to dig into how you got from Texas to Norway. Walk us through that whole timeline and what that even was like. Looked like
2: totally. I mean, it was like a really crazy ride. Like looking back on it, I mean, I I was. In Texas, and I was deciding where I wanted to go to college. Um, I was lucky enough to get a pretty decent... I really wanted to go to Berkeley, really bad for contemporary music. And I got a really good scholarship to go to Baylor um, in Waco for classical voice. So I did a year of classical voice at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. And I was there, and I went to my first opera... And I cried through the whole thing. Because I was like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. So I mm. went back to my voice teacher the next day and I said, I have to transfer. I said, I'm either transferring or I'm dropping out. I said, let's find me a place. And so he was, Dr. Umstead was the light of my life. He sat down and we found a school called Belmont, which was in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Yes. And they
2: did they did commercial music there, which is just like contemporary music. So I um, applied there and um, went to Nashville to study at Belmont for two years. And... Um, i found out through this school called limpy through a facebook ad um which was super weird and um providential but um (laughs) i found this ad and it was like write songs for the great you know there's mentors in the industry and i think and i i was um approaching my senior year so i was a junior and I had pushed off all my Gen N's to my senior year in hopes that I would be able to drop out. And so I was looking at my schedule next year, and it was math and social studies and all these things that weren't music. And I thought, gross. So I asked my parents, I was like, can I drop out and go to this school in Norway? And my dad was like, no. And I was like, that's fine. But then I came home for the summer after having missed the application deadline for this Norwegian school called Limpy, because my parents said no, <laughs> and then my parents sat me down and they were like, "We thought about it. You can go." And so but I you clicked, missed the application deadline. I did, yep. and I and I emailed the professors, and I was like, <sighs> I was like, "Please let me in." I was like, "Let me in," and um and they did. They let me in actually, and uh, then headed off to Lillehammer, Norway, to study music. Which, when I hear all those things back to back, it's one of those things that's just like. Wow everything had to fall in line for that story to become mine and it's just cool it's just so cool
1: yeah it's it's so interesting because I I often find myself reflecting on when I'm in a situation or moment that seems almost unreal walking it back mm. and going, how did this small choice over here? domino effect all the way to where I am. And it's so crazy yeah. because it goes back to what we we're talking about, but you have to recognize these moments and opportunities and the timing and yeah. act on it because you're not going to, like, I mean, just because you saw that ad, you can file it away and it may come back or you may forget about it. And then you're yeah. doing algebra at 8am in Tennessee, you know, <laughs> and I, mean, I
2: had, I had a math class scheduled for 8am the next semester and I didn't want to do it. I did not want to do it.
1: <laughs> I pushed mine off until the last minute too. Cause I was just like, ah, uh, no thanks. Mm. I mean, it was fine. It was super yeah. easy. Not a big deal, but you know, yeah, push it yeah. off. Just well, it off. and
2: I just dropped out. I said, bye. No, thanks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I find, you know, you've got to in life when you have these moments, it's important, I think to, to vet the idea out and really see it through as far as you can because there will be situations where you're rejected and the door is closed and that's as far as you can go. But then I think recognizing that, okay, well... And, you know, I'm a super optimistic person and probably to a fault, but recognizing like, all right, well, the things that I learned through this process is how to get my portfolio together, how to get my body of work together, how to get everything buttoned up and in a row. So that way, when the next person taps me on the shoulder, I can turn around and just give it to them. I don't have to spend time thinking about it because it's ready to go. And then they recognize the value and then they hire you or sign you or promote you, whatever. And then you're good to go. And Mm. You know, I think, I, I, I think everything happens for a reason is such a cliche. So what I like to say is that everything preps us for the next thing and totally, and it's like, you know, you weren't supposed to get it for whatever reason, but then you're left with a life lesson, a skill that you had to work on to where you're set up for the next thing to be extremely successful.
2: Absolutely. That's, and that really is what it feels like. Every step in the past was every, every college I went to three and four years <laughs> was the step for the next one. So.
1: so what was it like getting to Norway, being in a totally different country? Had you traveled abroad prior to studying there?
2: I had never been out of the country before I went. So, okay, um, right. I was lucky enough. Uh, yeah. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> my parents are crazy. I'm uh, looking, I'm going to look back on that and be like, my parents are crazy. But, um, <laughs> My dad actually flew out with me, thankfully enough, because he knew I would get lost. Sure. And um, so we, we landed in Norway, and it, it's weirdly very similar, but there's, you know, obviously like some culture shock, but they are very European, so it's just kind of like, okay, they're, very, right. they're casual people. Right. Um, and it was a very small town, so Lillehammer is really, really tiny and quaint, so um, you kind of feel welcomed in almost immediately in that way. So it's really lucky. It's How
1: lucky. far away is it from Oslo, just for a geographic perspective? It's
2: like a two, yeah, it's like a two-hour train ride to Oslo. So it's not far, but it's um, is it is definitely near, small.
1: Is it near Kristiansand at all? Or no? That, I yeah, that's in Norway. So. I, I don't know. It's OK. I knew somebody that played, played soccer there. And I he was like, you should come visit. And I'm like, there's no direct flights. <laughs> I was in England and I still couldn't get around to seeing him because I was a broke college student studying overseas. So there you go.
2: That's hard, man. That's hard. (laughs) Studying overseas, though? Yeah, there
1: we go. There we go. There we go. That was cool. That was cool. (laughs) Took a lot of my theater major classes over there. So that was a lot of fun. Um,
2: That's so dope.
1: But I digress. Um, What was it like working? in norway at the school so you talked about you said that the ad had a lot of mentorships that it advertised yeah. what what was that actual experience like getting to work with different folks over there
2: right i mean the the one pull of this school compared to the schools i've been in in the past is the structure of it is completely different mm. and it's very much hands-on real world you're getting mentors who are in the industry um, actively in the industry you're not getting taught from a professor who's been in the school for maybe you know 20 years or so and has been sure. out of the industry for a minute right so this the school operates in a different way where on Monday morning you get a new mentor from the industry we had Andrea Schiller we had Emily Warren we had Sarah Hudson I mean it was just like we had Stargate the people who have done some crazy things right um, and so they would come in on Monday and they would give us a little lesson and then give us an assignment and we'd get split off into groups. There was only 50 students in the school. So we all got to know each other very well. And um, we would get split off into little groups and, and go downstairs to the 17 studios and just make something. Mm. And we did that every week. And then every weekend we were in the studios just, you know, writing for fun and, you know, being in this little collective. It was just blissful. It was very utopian and I I miss it very much. <laughs>
1: So you're, you're working on, you're crafting these original songs and you're, you're pairing up with different individuals each week as well, I would assume, like Mm -hmm. pairing up with different people. So what, how did that, here, here's the, here's the way I want to ask that is how did that shape your ability? Um, no, how did it, um, add, the collective songwriting skill to mm-hmm. your arsenal so i think so to to back it up a bit you've been working on your own self songwriting your own stories putting it down to paper you're you're intentionally responsible for beginning to end and execution. Now Mm -hmm. you're in a group setting and it's changing up every single time. So how did you adapt to this collaborative songwriting environment where the idea and the story perhaps is not even yours, but how do you inform Mm -hmm. it with your own experiences and bringing other views into the fold?
2: Totally. I mean, I think most songwriters will tell you that co-writing with people is a learning curve and it's a skill. It's not something that most of us enjoy right out the gate as we have all been like writing in our bedrooms for, you know, however many years by ourselves. And so um, there's a learning curve to it, but it's very sweet. And I think this school is very unique in the sense that you're building relationships with these people. So, So it feels very natural to open yourselves up to conversation about, hey, what are you feeling this week? What have you gone through? What can we pull in to make this really authentic and, or, or really fun and hit really hard? I mean, it's a lot of just learning to create community with your writers. I think that's really important um, down the line. And um, it was just a really great way for everybody to kind of learn that essence of co-writing It's like, all right, go sit in this room and you better have a song by the end of the week. There's no, you don't get to weasel out of it. (laughs) So it was, it it worked out, I think.
1: (laughs) Is there, what was the, what were some of the moments that you were uh, very proud of the final product? And then what is something that was perhaps, how did you learn from a experience or a product that was less than desired?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I've had this really interesting goal to be the most indispensable person possible in any room, which is not, uh, you know, maybe that's a little egotistical, but I think it drives me to work really hard and try to find ways to be an asset to those around me. And so I think most of all, I was really proud to, 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 to be seen as one of those writers, I think, throughout the school is just like, oh, that, like, she can do this kind of thing. I mean, it was interesting. I feel like one of the harder parts of it for me was learning to be a little bit less poetic. I think Scandinavia has the real blessing of English being their second language, which makes their songs. Clear and concise and understandable, which in turn makes them more relatable and accessible to most people, right? And it's why Scandinavian music and writers do so well in the U.S. market. Um, so I feel like that's kind of that was ugh, the one thing where it was kind of a defeat, where people would always be like, "What do you mean by this? What is? What are you trying to say?" Um, and then just being able to write songs i mean and you know probably the biggest joy from the whole year was writing that song that emily warren loved which was just a whole other story but um but yeah just uh just a good time
1: that's it's so interesting to me when you talk about and i want to i want to circle back on this for a second in it's two minds right so i think one you Mm -hmm. can call it egotistical the most indispensable person in the room but the the flip side of that the where it's not and it's very selfless is saying that Mm. I'm intentionally making those around me and whatever project I'm touching better by informing Mm. it with my unique skill set and perspective and state of being. And that is very selfless and very communal and collective. And yeah, you know, there's some egotisticalness in there. But what I feel like is it's less egotistical and more self-assured in who you are and what you bring to Mm. the table and your, your ability to embrace the growth mindset of this is how I feel indispensable in the room. This is what I strive to be. And this is how I'm constantly learning and growing from the projects I'm working on, the people I'm interacting with to make myself better, which then I can then use to make the project and the other folks around me better. And that I feel like from peeling that back into a broader truth, a universal truth is like, isn't that what we all want to strive to do for the world in general? Yeah. You know, is see how Honestly. we can learn. Right. And and make others better. And then we can learn and grow. And then at the end of the day, our legacy is we've left the world better than we found it.
2: Yeah. I think you wrapped that up really in a really positive way. And and again, in a, in a very cool perspective that I haven't really considered myself, I think I, it, it's hard to be a songwriter. I mean, I think it's See, that sounds so, <laughs> but no. like, it is difficult in the sense that it's like yeah. there, you have to be a little narcissistic to write songs. You have to yeah. be like, I have something worth saying. This story right. is worth being heard. And then, and then also being like, but I invite you to be a part of it with me. And like, how can yes. I make that touch people and move people? Like, even if it's just a pop song, like those, those things are important, just the same. And so, so yeah, trying to be as indispensable as possible, be as useful as possible, make as much difference in what you're doing applies to all facets of life.
1: Right. I was having a conversation with, um, Rob Bell on my other podcast, Detox. Little shout out for for that show. Um, shout out to and, Detox. Right, and I was uh, I was talking to him about his latest book, Everything Is Spiritual. And I was asking him mm. what was he thinking about, like what was his message to the readers when he wrote it. And he he f- answered rather flippantly, "I didn't even consider it." And so I pressed him on it. And he said, <laughs> what I mean by that is it's not that I don't care what people think about when they read it. It's that I wasn't writing it go- with this idea and mentality of, oh my goodness, I really hope these people think it's the best book in the world and that that it mm-hmm. wins all these awards. He's like, I wrote it because it was my truth that I needed to put onto paper. And I put it mm-hmm. out there because for me, I needed to write it out, close it, have closure, move on. And then yeah. you know, one would hope someone can pick up pick it up, see themselves in it. And then they're informed Mm -hmm. to have their own bits of closure and, and nuance. He's like, so I wrote it. He said, so not to sound rather not to sound flippant, but it's, I didn't write it. I didn't put those trappings on myself of what are other people going to think when I wrote, write it. I wrote it because Mm -hmm. I needed to say this to myself and see myself reflected in the work. And, and then I Mm -hmm. countered and said, well, I think that that is where you have truth is when you put when you need to see yourself in the work and how do i see Mm -hmm. myself in this song how do i see myself in this music how is it reflected back and then i think the creator learns something from themselves when they create and then people who observe and appreciate and engage with the art learn something about themselves as well reflected back and it's interesting it's this interesting moment where art grabs grabs us or speaks to us where we're at in the moment mm. and mm-hmm. and shows us what we need to see. Mm. And I often find that whatever I'm thinking about working through wrestling with, contemplating when I'm engaging with music or when I'm engaging with a book or a piece of visual art Mm-hmm. I find that I like to say, I throw these ideas in the back burner of my mind and it's just marinating and I got to stir it every so often. And it's some of those <laughs> moments where I bring it up to the front burner and then pour it into a bowl and start consuming it. And totally. and it's interesting when those moments happen. So I love when you're talking about writing songs and, and, and finding something to say and feeling a little egotistical. but I think, But I think wrapping it up, that's the beauty of it, is that you mm. do have something to say, and it's to you first and foremost, and then to yes. others who choose to engage with it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I, totally. I think you nailed it. That's definitely the move. That's kind of what we're all doing as songwriters. So, right.
1: the As we're teeing up to get into the last segment, I want you to, or as we're setting up, I want you to tee us up and talk us through the first few Songs that you put out into the world. Were you in Norway when that happened? Or had you moved back at that point?
2: <clears throat> so I, It's funny because I started releasing long before I was ever Deza. Um, but uh, those have been banished to the abysses of where songs go to die Um, <laughs> oh sure <laughs> I uh, releasing- Napster, no <laughs> oh yeah absolutely (laughs) Um, no but I started releasing um, in 2018 actually when I was in Nashville so I mean and even before I was releasing releasing I was putting stuff out on SoundCloud so as as long as I could I was putting it out but um, as Deza I've been releasing since 2018 Um, started with a weird weird EDM-ish song that's still out there if you're interested it's there unfortunately (laughs) maybe I should take it down I don't know but uh, started with that um, then moved to Palms and Blooming anyways which are also super weird and then all the Norway music started coming out as of January and that stuff is like way better but that's because it's my newest stuff so
1: <laughs> I love it. Alright well you're listening to After the Encore I'm your host Joe Shaw and we'll be right back after this
0: my boyfriend. I keep seeing you in different shades I try to illustrate try to explain it but all the words began to slip away and I'm quiet for once So i focus on your color now I'll watch you dance around The sweetest that I have found Not sure how I ever did without You've always got me awestruck You don't notice the way I see you You don't, you don't Something lovely if only you knew Ooh, that's my violet boy
1: Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. I'm here with Deza, and we were chatting a little bit off uh, off air uh, in between segments about my first exposure to your music, and I got to give a shout out to my sister-in-law, Jillian Moore. She introduced oh. me, yes, to the music uh, um, via, I'll say, Cade, Cade Kyle, and so big shout out oh. to him, right? And so what's so interesting, we were going, we were just hanging out one day, and I told her, I said, you know... I think this is the theme that I want to do for volume five. If you have any ideas for some artists um, I could reach out to and talk to that might fit, I'm happy to to listen. And she said, let me, let me play this. Uh person Deza for you and so she played Palms and it was it was very good and then I went okay what's this next one the top play My Boy Violet and it just boom blew me away and I absolutely (laughs) loved it and I was telling her she was like what do you think and you know she's very nice and kind and quiet and I was like what do you she's like what do you think about it and I hadn't read your bio on anything and I was just talking as I was driving I said you know the great thing about it what I really love about her music. And I just like had to hit my boy by like one more time. So it would like play (laughs) as like the, the bed music while I was talking, you know, to really set the Mm. mood, of course, of course. And I said, you know, it sounds fresh and familiar it's mm. it's new words and it's like a new vibe that it's hitting me and it feels very refreshing to hear something new. But yet at the same time, it evokes sounds and ambiance that reminds me of a lot of different individuals I love already. I'm thinking of a um oh I'm gonna say it wrong, but like a Avicii. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that's quite
0: um, yeah
1: yeah yeah no that's it. And then um oh what's Oh, what's his name? I forget his name. Um, mm, Dig me home when it's all over. I'm that may be a VG, <laughs> right? I don't know. Oh yeah, it is a VG. I was like, yeah, maybe that no. is a VG. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's this guy. I don't know. I'm, I'm in this industry, and I still right.
2: did not know that. So. <laughs>
1: But I say, it reminds me, this is what I say, it, was, it reminds me a little bit of Avicii, a little bit of, um, is it Swedish House Mafia, um, but, mm. but, but yet not at all and in a completely different way. I felt like yeah. elements that I liked, this is what I was saying. It was a little clunky in the delivery, but elements of those groups that I really liked have been picked up and dropped into this new way of making music that I absolutely love. I felt like the parts I was less crazy about have been stripped away and replaced with this authentic, like personal writer touch that really informs the music to where it lives and breathes and, and, and evoke something new every time I listen to it. In fact, I actually listen to Thank it. You. You're welcome. I I pair it. I, I like, I like to think of music as, as fine wine and cheese at times. Mm-hmm. And I like to pair artists and songs I together. I mean, that's the beauty of constructing a playlist or a mixtape if you're old enough. Um, and, and I, I was recently introduced to, not introduced to the band Perry, but reintroduced to their new music via, mm. uh, or via Owen Thomas of the Elms, who is has been working with them very closely over the last several years, and he helped write and produce their, their album from 2018, and I don't remember the name of it, but there's a song on that EP called Run, and the sound of Run pairs supremely well with My Boy Violet. Like, one and two... Back and forth, Kimberly Perry and Deza, just boom, boom. Have
2: to listen to that. It is Ooh. very
1: good. I highly that's recommend great, it.
2: It's a great partner to have. I mean, so.
1: it and so it, it, but it for the same reasons that I was drawn to that song and the freshness mm-hmm. of it was what I was drawn to with my boy Violet and the rest of your music. And so I think Thank it's so you. interesting. You're welcome. That you talk about your experiences in songwriting and and getting this unique perspective on collaboration and having something to say and, and really maturing the sound over and over. And that I think is what's so powerful. So now that we've kind of gone through that and I've, you know, fanned out a little bit, I will talk about, (laughs) um, I'd love to get your perspective on the latest chapter. So coming from Norway and then now you're out of LA and you you're, you're signed. Let's talk. I I would love to chart the chronology from Norway to LA and then end and, and kind of talk a little bit about your current work that you're doing as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, similar to my past couple years, it happened, the transition was very smooth, and um, I was very lucky how it happened. Um, So Emily Warren was our very last mentor of the year, and she came through, she Zoomed in with us. I've always been a fan of her work. If you're not familiar, she's written hits like Don't Start Now by Dua Lipa, lots of stuff with Sigrid. I mean, it's just... Yeah, she's crazy. Like her discography and her writing credits are just out of this world. Um, so always been a huge fan of hers. And so she comes through as a mentor and, I, you know, we get paired off into groups. And I knew, I knew I had to go write a ballad by myself. I was like, the only way I'm going to get her attention, like if I can if I can get her to remember what I'm doing here, it's going to be if I write a ballad all by myself. So, so I took... Took myself away from the group for a couple of hours, and I went to sit down at the keys. And you know, we were in the the heat of the pandemic, and um, I fell in love while I was in Norway. And we had a trip to Paris planned, uh, because my life is a literal rom com. And the <laughs> Paris trip got canceled because of COVID. Right, of course. So that was tragic but again if that had not happened this song that i wrote for her would not exist so i wrote a song called paris with somebody else and and it's just this tragic ballad of you know i, I was in love with this N- N- norway man <laughs> <laughs> and um and knew that i would be leaving and and i you know in the whole song i'm just saying can we go can we go to paris when this is over because mm. i can't picture you in paris with somebody else mm. and so so I wrote that song and I uh, sent it off and I was, you know, crossed my fingers and, and Emily hit me up and was like, that song was crazy. She said, do you have anything else? And I said, hell yeah. I, I <laughs> And so I sent hold her on. That was just me like,
1: running to my computer real quick. No worries. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, what's funny is when she texted me, I was drunk because it was Nor—it was Norway time, right, right. so it was like nighttime. So I'm like drinking wine, like having a good time with my boyfriend in Norway, right. and then I'm like, she just—I was like, can you help me text her back? Because I'm losing it. And so, so I'm like, yeah, sure. I guess more stuff. And so sent her a big list of the other songs I had, and it—it um, it really happened really naturally. She had just started up a new publishing company called Under Warranty. Um, and so I co-signed to, uh, prescription songs and under warranty publishing and then made the move to LA in September. It, I mean, it really is just, I I was very lucky, obviously worked to be where I'm at, but was, was really lucky in this scenario.
1: What I think is really interesting is we're charting through and talking about, you know, definitely luck and definitely opportunity, Mm -hmm. but it's, there's been a lot of micro moves where you've been intentional about the decisions you've made. And even in a horrible situation where you've got a global pandemic that shuts the world down. So you're not able to do the one thing you want to do at the time, finding a way to spin that into a different opportunity by using the skills and lessons you've learned helps in prep you and get you ready for that opportunity that comes right afterwards. And Mm -hmm. that's what's, Absolutely incredible. I'd love to know, because one thing that I see on Instagram is you're you're hitting it hard every single day, working and putting it together. So what has been some of your, I know it's still fairly early in that, in this life, but in this life, in this song, right? <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: that's
2: true. It right. does feel like a new life. Right, it really right. does. Right.
1: Um, what have been some of your favorite moments so far? And what have been some possibly new lessons you've learned about yourself as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm super, super green, super new to the game. But like, it's really been some of my favorite moments have been realizing how much I love my crew from that I met um, in Norway, actually, because I mean, you go to these sessions and you meet new people all the time. And like, that's great. But, you know, I called up one of my friends from Norway, and we wrote today and it was just the funnest experience. So I think... Realizing the importance, again, of the community that I'm lucky enough to have. Um, And really just cool moments, like being on this management. I'm on ground-up management site now because I'm technically a protege of Emily. And they have writers like Scott Harris and Amy Allen. And if you're into songwriting, you know who those people are. Um, If you're my mom, maybe not, and that's cool. But, um, (laughs) But, you know, like having my name along the lines of these people or like... I've been a fan of John Bellion's for forever, and having O.G. Volta, who produced some of his songs, follow me on Instagram, just I lost my mind like a tiny bit. Um, So, so, so those moments have been really, really strange. Being like, okay, I'm in it now. I'm like in the world. Right. Um. And it's been a, a hard learning lesson too of just being like, you know, you're in it now, but you're you're always at the bottom of the ring, you know. And it's just a matter of how can I get these people to. To pay attention to me, you know, right. these writers out here. And so just, just like you're back, you're always on the grind, you're always on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's so cool that you. you- get to the point where you've got your how do i put this you are now peers with these folks that you no know, you didn't used to see as peers and are and like maybe still don't because i feel like we all have this <laughs> imposter syndrome of like uh oh, what am yeah. i you like look around you're like i don't know how i got in this room was i supposed to be yes. given this key uh, is this what this really unlocked uh, okay so I all right, I yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> someone can find out that I'm deza and I'm not someone else yeah, like exactly. right you know <laughs> yeah. but I love yeah. that you know you get to a point where now you have these these people who are your peers who are wanting mm-hmm. to know well, what does Deza have to say what are you working on yeah. what is something that you're putting on and if there has been one thing we've learned, throughout all of this is the most authentic one can be is when you have something to say about yourself and it's reflected in the music and can be picked up. And, you know, you did just release pout. So I'd love to talk about the origins and the background on creating that and what, what, what it meant to you to put it down onto paper and then put it out into the world.
2: Yeah, that one was really fun because before our Emily was our mentor, you know, we had other other mentors come through and there's been one that I was working pretty closely with just just in terms of like getting feedback on songs and at one point he was like, "You just don't really have any hits. Like you just don't have anything on here." And he meant it like he's right. Like I write sad girl ballads most <laughs> of the time. Like I really understand. And so I'm not mad at him for that at all sure. at the time I was. But um <laughs> But, it, you know, he was like, you just don't really have any hits. Well, and then I went to my friends and I was like, he said that I don't have any hits. And my friends were trying to comfort me and saying like, well, your songs don't really make people dance. Like in a nice way. They're, sure. they're just not dancey songs. And it's true. I write ballads. So let's be <laughs> real. But um, but at the, <laughs> so then that's why the hook says, I don't want to dance right now. Because I was pissed. Right? I, was like, I was like, I'm just going to write something about... Want, being sad it happens sometimes I get so irritated sometimes with the pop music world where it's just like everything is fine and we're doing okay I'm like it's a pandemic and I'm sad right. <laughs> so so it's such a it was such a fun thing that came about um and so that's kind of where that story came from so putting it down on paper felt Good. <laughs> right?
1: I You know, that reminded me of one of my favorite stories. Uh, I was a huge fan of Maroon 5 back in the day. I, I still enjoy Maroon 5. But those first two albums were bangers. And I absolutely loved it. And songs about Jane. Oh, love it. But the song, I heard the song and uh, the song Harder to Breathe. And so the origin of that song was um, Maroon 5 produced all of songs about Jane without harder to breathe. They had not added harder to breathe. And the record label came and said, you just don't have any hits on this record. You don't have any singles. You don't have things people can get excited about, things people can dance to, you don't have anything. And so they said, fine. And they demanded they go back in the studio and they wrote harder to breathe because it was the record label making it harder to breathe for them. And they, I remember they, the story I read or the interview I heard with Adam Levine, they recorded it very quickly, produced it, put it on label, essentially like metaphorically throwing it back in the record label's face and say, There, there's your hit, there's your single, release it. And of course they were like, Oh, this is great, selling so many records. It's fantastic. Not realizing like this is about you and the inability to breathe because you're putting these regulations on our music.
0: Yeah.
2: You'd be surprised how many people are constantly angry at either their label or their A and R. Like I've only been in this for four weeks and there's so many songs where he's like this A&R is doing this and this label heads doing this. Everybody just met. Ma- Everybody's mad at the business side, like all the time. <laughs> it's good stuff. It is.
1: And I think, you know, it's, um, you can use it. So I think in that instance, right, it's an example of both a pout and harder to breathe. I'm going to compare, you know, yeah. the wine comparison. I'm going to com- put pout and harder to breathe side by side there. And, and talk about, you know, in both situations, it's very, it's a frustrating moment, but instead of allowing it to consume you um, and not do anything about it, it's, a, you know, both you and, and Adam Levine, the great songwriters of our generation, wrote, <laughs> wrote an absolute hit because you had something to say and you need to put it on paper and just, boom, right. there it is. It's done. Let's move forward. There's your hit. Yeah. Now let's talk about the next <laughs> thing, right? And yeah, And totally. I absolutely find that amazing for a uh, quick point of reference. I did fact check myself. So the song by the band Perry is "Runaway," not just run. So if you look oh. for run, you will be sorely disappointed. So look for run away. And yes. that is a uh, pair it with um, my boy, Violet, and then you'll be good to go. So beautiful as we're starting to get towards the end of the show, I want to kind of explore what has been, what has been a fundamental truth that you've learned about yourself throughout this entire process Ooh. and how do you how do you hope to use that and expound upon it in the days weeks months years to come
2: yeah i mean i've always been a proponent i mean i feel like there's three big points that i keep coming back to it's always be as indispensable as possible which is just kind of wrapping up my my drive and my desire to be an asset to this community. Um, the second one is to feel my feelings and to to not try and numb any of them and, and 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 be able to process them in a way that allows other people to process them as well, like we talked about earlier. And then the last one that's been really really pressing on me these last couple of weeks is like find your community. Like for me, I feel like I have I'm exactly where I wanted to be a year ago. Same city exact same deal i was dreaming of getting signed a prescription for years before this and then to have emily thrown in is crazy so i'm exactly where i wanted to be and i'm still finding wow i, m- I miss my people mm-hmm. i miss the the community that i had at, at limpy and those those friends and, and dear collaborators so trusting that that's more important kind of you know what i mean where yep. i i feel like it's important to constantly reevaluate okay what's your priority What are are you putting your like heart in right now? And so I think that that's like been a really big thing for me in these last couple of weeks and hopefully will continue to be as I meet new people.
1: Yes, I love that. Well, if people are uh, keeping track at home for the the Deza song pairings that I've put together, you've got Runaway and uh, My Boy Violet, and then I've got Pout and Harder to Breathe. And then the last one I want to throw your way is Into the World and then Oh, I just lost it. No, I should have written it down. Um, Um, Oh, no. Yes. Into the World and Hello by Allie X. So those. Oh,
0: okay. I
2: like that.
1: Yes. So those are if you're thinking about like, what should I pair Deza with? There you go. Um, I don't often have those ready, but I've been ruminating on them for a while. But uh, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: Yeah. All of my stuff is at This Is Deza um, all social medias. And then I have a newsletter that I'm starting up again. That's just kind of going out to currently like my grandma and my like three friends
1: and me, but
2: if you'd <laughs> like to be, yeah, exactly. My three friends. And, um, so if you want to be a part of that, like send me your email, DM it to me. And, uh, yeah. So those are kind of like the big things I'm doing now.
1: I love it. And then to, to wrap it up here, if there is one, uh, if someone is listening and they want to break into the music industry in whatever way or shape or form that takes, yeah. what is a, what is some piece of advice that you would like to give them?
2: I mean, you're going to have to work harder than you think you are. I mm. think it's just like, it's gonna, and it's, there's going to be points where it's not fun and the important, like being able to push past those points of it not being fun, is what's gonna be the kicker for right.
1: you, I think. I mean, no one is gonna care as much about your art as you are. So Ooh, make them care too. about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, f- yes, exactly. Yes. Make I them listen.
1: It. I love it. Well, Deza, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate <gasps> thank it.
2: Thank you so much. Of it was so much fun.
1: Yes. Folks, you've been listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and here to play us out one more time is Deza.
0: Cut off on of my hair cause I don't like endings. Tried to talk to God, but I think he's busy Do you think that he misses me? I should write it down so I don't feel empty Uh, But I cut off on my head, do I look real pretty? Ignoring so blissfully Proud, don't wanna right now, no. Dance right, dance right now, no, no. I don't wanna dance right, dance right now, no, no. I don't wanna dance right, dance right now. I just wanna, I just wanna power. Never really scared staying in the ruins. Kinda dig the wake, it's all consuming, making me more human. A hundred different ways, I know how. The method of my choosing Try to keep the pace I'ma keep it moving Let these bruises keep on blooming I I don't wanna, I don't wanna dance right now Think I'm gonna, think I'm gonna crack it out Move through the rain that's coming down Cause I don't wanna dance right now
1: podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.